We are in this series titled Maker's Mark. And in this series, we're learning, we're learning about these different emotions that we're feeling or that we feel from time to time in life that maybe we don't really want to interact with. Or maybe we feel like we shouldn't interact with them. Or culture tells us different things about them. Or we just kind of get to this place where some of these emotions, if we had the option, we would remove these emotions from ourselves. Like for some of us, if, if I gave you the magic wand, you would just completely remove this emotion or these emotions we're covering, and you wouldn't even be interested in having them anymore. But the truth is, as we're going to discover, and as we talked about last week, these emotions are actually a mark of your maker, because God experiences these emotions. And believe it or not, he created you in his image. So it's a big deal that we pay attention and we recognize that these emotions aren't bad things. They're not bad things at all. And they're not stuff that we should necessarily want to get rid of. Last week we talked about anger, which was a very difficult one to, to wrestle to the ground, wasn't it? Because uh, the idea that we hear is that you shouldn't be angry as a Christian. But as we learned last week, God gets angry. It's what happens in the anger. It's what happens as a result. It's what happens that's important after the anger. So the emotion itself is not the problem. The problem then is how we handle it. And we learned last week that God is not some angry God in heaven with a magnifying glass waiting for you to mess up so he's going to burn you, right? That's not what he's doing. What he's actually doing, he's very slow to anger. Moses, who saw face to face with God, described him that way, that he was slow to become angry. And then Jesus demonstrated that in his life. And James instructs us to do the same thing, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because your heavenly Father is slow to become angry. So last week we dealt with that one, and that one's uncomfortable because all of us have felt emotions of anger. All of us have been frustrated before. Shoot, you may have been frustrated getting the kids in the car this morning, right? It's probably an emotion that you felt this morning. But today we're going to talk about something that everybody has experienced, Everybody's experienced this one too. It's universal, and it's universally not attributed to God. But in fact, it actually is an emotion that he feels all the time. Because when we experience God, and when we describe God, or we understand God, we sit back and we go, yeah, 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 he's loving, right? Last week we learned he gets angry, so we think of God as his emotion he feels as anger. We, feel, you know, we also recognize he's patient, right? We understand he's holy when we describe God. We understand he's kind. He's generous. He's caring. He's all these things. We list all these different things out. Um, but the one we think about, the one we're going to cover today is not often one he talks about or that we, we talk about when we talk about God. And that's sadness. Believe it or not, your heavenly Father feels sorrow. He feels sadness. And we sit back and we go, no, 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 God can't feel or shouldn't feel or doesn't feel sadness. And some of us feel more importantly, that when we are sorrowful, when we are sad, God is actually very far from me. That when I'm experiencing something tough like that, God is clear on the other side of the field. He's not even paying attention to what I'm doing over here. Like, he, he's not even aware. And it feels like that there's a great distance between us and God when we're going through something difficult or when we are sad. It's something we don't always pay attention to and some of you in this room have experienced that before, that feeling that God is far and distant. You've experienced the feeling that he's in the next room, but he's not looking. He's not paying any attention. Like when mom died. When she died, it didn't feel like God was paying any attention. When your dad got those 
horrible doctor reports. It didn't feel like God was paying any attention. It didn't feel like he was in the next room and even cared what you were going through. Maybe when you needed him in that relationship or in, the, in your marriage, he didn't, didn't even, you guys were going through it. It didn't even feel like he was there or he was paying attention. You knew he was there. You've heard about it, but it surely didn't feel like it. And then there's the cultural aspect of it, too, that's very difficult. A cultural aspect of it when it relates to this emotion, particularly if you're a man, is that you're not allowed to feel it. You shouldn't feel it. Or if you're some other people, like you, you shouldn't feel it at all. Like you feel like, oh, big girls don't cry, right? I'm not supposed to feel that emotion. Culture will also tell you that you, when you're sad, you're not a good leader. You can't be a good leader and be sad. You can't function in that space. You, gotta, you can't feel the emotion. You've got to handle it, and you just move on from it. And if it comes to a place where it's too much, you just bottle it up, put it into a bottle, bury it in the sand somewhere, and then one day, whether you know it or not, it's coming back. But if you don't deal with it, then it, you know, it's no harm, no foul right now. But what they don't tell you is one day it's going to be a problem. So today we're going to talk about sorrow. And let me, let me chime in right now from that attitude. If you've ever been told that you shouldn't feel it, can't feel it, and it's not something that you should do at all, you should bottle it up and put it away, let me be very clear and as candid as I can. That is an unbiblical worldview. That viewpoint is not from God. So wherever you got that viewpoint, that is not the way he created you. He created you with emotions to feel emotions and to understand and interact with them. He created you that way because he feels them that way. And you are created in his image. In fact, there's a moment in Jesus' life where he interacts with these emotions in a very intimate way. And we're going to see that today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of John in chapter 11. Now we get this from the Apostle John. He was one of Jesus' close friends, one of his top three. So it was Peter, James, and John. John writes this letter later than the other Gospels because he's seen the other Gospels and they also tried to martyr John and kill him. And he decided, man, I better hurry up and write this down because they're going to eventually kill me. They're going to eventually get a hold of me. I better write down what I experienced with Jesus. That's why in the Gospel of John, if you notice, some of the stories are a little different or they're told from a different angle. It's because John was in with Jesus on the inner, the inner group, like the four of them. It was Jesus, James, Peter, and John. They were real tight together. So it was a, that's why it sounds a little different. Or maybe you hear stories in John that you wouldn't hear in the other Gospels because John was in on some of those conversations. So we're going to start in John chapter 11, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, bust some bad boys out, and we are going to get started. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. Okay, pause for just a second. I know I drive the production team crazy when I get halfway through a verse and I pause, and then they stop, and they go, come on, man. Got the whole verse up there. But I want to stop you for a second. You know this story. You're familiar with this story, right? Familiar with this story. Do not jump ahead, all right? Do not jump ahead. Stay with me as we're, process, as we're going through this story and walking through this story, and you'll see why when we get to the end. So a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Now, this was the same Mary, John tells us, whose brother Lazarus, now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. John says that because he wants to give context to who this is. He's like, you guys heard that story? Same family. That's why he says it that way. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus, and this is important, John's kind of teasing this out. He says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus was close to these people. Scholars believe that this area of Jesus, that this area was very close to Jerusalem, we know, and scholars believe Jesus would make uh, constant visits there. So we know he at least went to three Passovers in Jerusalem in his ministry, possibly to Jerusalem more often, but it would be, make sense that every time he would stop by this house, this was his family members. These were people he loved and cared about that he spent a lot of time with. That's why John kind of jumps out and gives that descriptor and says that he, was, that he loved them. He cared about them. And notice Jesus goes on to say that he will not leave immediately and go to Lazarus. He's not going to go directly to Lazarus right in that moment. But somehow, through all of this, God is going to be glorified through this sickness. And every one of us feels so strange when we hear that, don't we? I mean, we, feel, we hear that and we go, come on, that doesn't even make any sense. How can that happen? And the disciples didn't fully understand what he meant either. They didn't fully track on it at all. And so Jesus, talking to them, says this, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Or in verse 11, I'm going there to wake him up. To which his disciples replied, because they don't fully understand what's going on, Lord, if he sleeps, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. I mean, they understood that. Come on, Jesus, if he's just taking a nap, let him take a nap, dude. We'll get him later. And I imagine Jesus goes, Impossible with these guys. They just can't. They just, they just don't get it. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, talking about Lazarus' death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly Lazarus is dead. These got their attention. They're all looking up. Wait a second. You said, hold on. You said, Jesus, you said that God would be glorified through this, and he's your friend. And you just said he's dead? Okay. What do you mean? And then Jesus goes on to say that he's going to get the group together and they're going to go to visit Lazarus. One of my favorite verses, or one of my just that I just get a kick out of, is what Thomas says in this space, right as they're about ready to go to, uh, to Bethany to Lazarus. They are together and they say, hold on, Jesus, you can't go to Bethany because they want to kill you in that area. If you go to that area, they're going to want to stone you. Remember, we just got away from being stoned, okay? Let's not rush back into that, Jesus. That's a little crazy. Plus, Lazarus is already dead. And then Jesus says, no, 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 it's for the glory of God. We are going back to this place. And, and Thomas, what's really funny, is Thomas kind of has this attitude. Even though he's, he's addressed as, and often thought of as doubting Thomas, Thomas, in this moment, right before they get ready to go, Thomas goes, well, I guess we shall go with him in death. Like Thomas just reserves himself. And everybody's like, Thomas has no faith. Thomas had the most faith. He just, he just looks at the disciples and goes, well, we're all going to get stoned together. Not the fun way. Pay attention, guys. <laughs> I said that, and I thought I need to clarify John chapter 11, on his arrival, this is in verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. 
Now, there's an old Jewish superstition that the, the spirit would hover around the body for three days, is what they kind of believed. So the fact that God waits four days to make this point is even more amazing. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. This was a cultural thing. Everybody was coming around them because they had lost their brother. This family was well-known, likely. This family was well-connected, likely, to the city of Jerusalem also because they were in such close proximity to it. And so they're throwing all their weight and love and care behind it, much like what we do today when somebody gets hurt. You get text messages, phone calls from friends you haven't heard from in years, and they call and check in on you, or maybe even they show up at your doorstep. This is how the community worked. When someone hurt, we're going to help them. And when Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus. So she shows up and gets him right here at the begin- as he's entering the village. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, if you would have showed up when we sent the letter, wouldn't have this problem. Notice it's not a doubt of faith. There's no doubting of faith. There's no, oh, you know, can you, maybe, like there's none of that. It's if you were here, if you were here, this outcome would have been different. Jesus, if you would have shown up when we expected you to show up, Jesus, if you would have shown up in the way we expected you to show up, if you would just answer that prayer and have been there on time, We wouldn't have experienced this. We wouldn't be going through this pain. And for many of you, you've felt that before, haven't you? Maybe you've had moments when you felt like, Jesus, if you were just here. You don't doubt in your faith that he could do anything about it. But you sit back and you go, where were you? Where were you? I mean, It hurts, and I've been praying, and I've been asking, and I've been doing the right thing. But yet, just like Martha, you come. If you saw him, you would be like, "Where are you? Aren't you supposed to be here in the pain?" And if you had been here, I mean, it's not a matter of do we believe you can. It's if you had just been here. This would feel different. This wouldn't hurt as much. And maybe Martha felt the way that many of us do, that God looked the other way. Jesus goes on to tell her that she will see her brother again. And he, she, he, or she thinks that he's given her the church answer, right? She thinks, because he says you'll see him again at resurrection, that she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I know I'm going to see him again at the day of resurrection. Yeah, yeah, I know the church. I've gone to synagogue. I've gone to Sunday school. I know what you're saying. At the end, yada, yada, yada. Jesus, that does not help me right now. That does not help me with my pain right now. That does not help me with my suffering right now, Jesus. Come on. And then he gets her attention. He gets her attention. And then he kind of says, no, 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 you don't understand. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Jesus gets her attention and says, what you're looking for is right in front of you. It's right here. You're standing eyeball to eyeball with the author of life. And then it clicks. She's got it. There's a little bit of hope. There's a maybe. There's a possibly. 
There's a, I don't understand, but we'll see. And so she runs and grabs her sister, Mary, and says, Jesus is here. That when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, because Jesus is still waiting outside of the town, Martha says, let me go get Mary. Runs inside the house, grabs Mary, comes back out. Mary, Jesus is here. And she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, there it is again. Not doubting that you could do anything. It's just that you weren't here. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the same thing Martha does, because no doubt they had talked about it. No doubt when they sent the letter to Jesus or sent word to Jesus that this was a conversation that they had had. If Jesus just shows up, I'm sure that the two sisters sat there. They'd heard about the miracles. They'd seen him. They've talked to him face to face. They're probably like, look, if, if he shows up, we just need him to show up. We just need him to be here. I don't care how we get him here. We just need him here. And if he shows up, like if he comes back around, oh my gosh, we don't have anything to worry about, Martha. We don't have anything to worry about, Mary. We are so okay if he just shows up. And I'm certain they talked about it. I'm certain they experienced the pain. I'm certain that they had nights, that had moments when it kept them up at night. Jesus, where are you? Jesus, where are you? And you've probably been there too, haven't you? Jesus, where are you? Aren't you supposed to be here? I mean, I, I prayed. I've been at the church. Jesus, where are you? Do you notice? Do you even care? And when Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33 tells us, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Now this phrase, deeply moved in spirit, is a Greek word, just one Greek word. And the root word of this Greek word means to snort with anger. That's not exactly what this phrase means in this context. But this phrase shows this idea of deeply moved in spirit is an obvious discomfort with the situation. He's discomforted and frustrated because at this point now, the creator or the author of life is face to face with the repercussions of sin in the world. He's experiencing it firsthand with one of his closest friends. Not only that, he's experiencing it and watching the pain that it has caused in the creation. And that's why the next verse is one of the most important ones in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. He wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And people often think that he's weeping because of Lazarus. He's not weeping because of Lazarus. He's not upset and emotionally distraught because of Lazarus. He's emotionally distraught and upset because of Mary and Martha. They were in pain. And he felt that. That's what caused him to cry. That's what caused him to weep. He wasn't angry with them. He was angry with the sin in the world because he came face to face with the repercussions and the destruction that it had caused in his creation. 
Then he weeps. Then he's upset. And Jesus is sad. And you know the rest of the story. He goes to the tomb. He calls Lazarus out. Lazarus comes out. But what we don't often think about is that Lazarus died again. He would die later. And Mary and Martha would probably sit and wait. Do you remember that time? Do you remember that time? Yeah, we remember. If he had just been here. Yeah, we remember. But in this moment, the miracle is amazing. But I think we learn something so significant and so important about our Heavenly Father. Because remember, if you want to know how God feels and you want to know what, how, what, how God would react, look to, look to how Jesus feels and look how Jesus reacts. If you ever want to know how God reacts. And in this moment, Jesus, faced with this immeasurable pain, weeps with those who are in pain. So this is what I want you to know. When you hurt, God hurts. When you're going through it, your heavenly Father is sitting there with you. And when you sit back and you say, God, where are you? Or if you're like Mary and Martha, and you say, if you would have just been here. Jesus, if you would have just been here. If you would just show up the way I need you to. If you would just answer that prayer. Come on, I've tried multiple churches. I've tried multiple situations. I've tried so many different types of prayer. I've given to so many different great organizations. Jesus, but I just, if, if, where, what's the formula? If you would just show up, Jesus. I would not experience this. I would not be hurting this way. But when you hurt, he's hurting. Jesus is with you in that pain. And you go, yeah, Brandon, why didn't he step in? And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know. And any preacher that's going to tell you they know is lying to you. We do not know. We do not know why God steps in sometimes and sometimes that he does not. That's part of the mystery of our creator. We can't know. In fact, Isaiah says his thoughts are so much far above ours and we couldn't probably even handle it if we tried to understand it. So I can't tell you why he didn't step in the way you asked him to. I can't. I can tell you I don't know why he didn't step into my story the way I asked him to. But he didn't. Some of you in this room know my story. When I was younger, I was about probably two or three. My, my biological father, who I don't even share his last name anymore, was an angry, violent man who physically abused my mother and me and would go on to my mother finally got away from him, and then he would remarry, he would have my two brothers, and then he would do the same thing. And then he would go on, and he would continue with three more marriages after that. 
And as a kid, I couldn't figure out why God wouldn't step in. God, why is he this way? Why did you let him do that to me? God, why did you let him hurt my mom that way? God, why are you letting him continuously hurt people this way? And there would be times where he would call. There would be moments at which we would check in. And by check in, I mean he generally just wasn't going very good in life and he needed somebody to talk to. And I got to the place where I wasn't interested in talking to him anymore. I completely separated myself from him because I said, you're not adding value, you're actually stealing my joy. And so I removed him. And then in 2019, I got a phone call late one evening. And he said, and I answered, and we'd had a few moments in between then. And I answered, and he said, Brandon, I've messed up. And I'm like, yeah, a lot. Of course, you've messed up. What did you do? And he said, I hurt somebody. I hurt him real bad. And I already knew the story. He'd gone on to take his fifth ex or his divorced his fifth wife and was having an affair with this woman who he was with now, in which he beat her within an inch of her life, literally. Cracked skull, broken arms. She had to go to the hospital. And he was arrested. And then he's out on bond, gave everything he had to be able to have his freedom. And he's phone call and he calls me. He says, Brandon, what do I do? I looked at him, or I thought, I thought on the phone and I said, there's nothing you can do. I said, at this point, Steve, all you can do is get on both your knees and beg for forgiveness for your actions and what you've done. There's no repairing this relationship with you and me. There's no repairing it with the five women you've hurt. There's no repairing it with this woman. The best thing you can do is do that. And he said, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll do that. And you got to think, as a young kid, a young boy, you idolize your dad. They're supposed to be the hero. They're supposed to be the one that swoops in, puts you on their knee when things are bad, builds you up when you've been torn down by the world. And I'd hoped, I thought that was it. I got off the phone, and he was emotional. I got off the phone, and I was like, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the round that's going to matter. Maybe finally he will come to Jesus, and he will change his ways. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. And then I got a phone call the next morning. He committed suicide. And I often pray. I did a lot then, and I do now. Why didn't you step in? Jesus, there were so many people praying. Jesus, there were so many moments when you could have stepped in and stopped this. My life would be better if you stepped in and stopped this, Jesus. At least that's what I think. Why didn't you step in? Did you even care? Did you, Jesus, did you even care what I was going through? Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, through this whole process? 
And then to make matters worse, we couldn't get a, a pastor to do his funeral, so I had to do his funeral. And I was like, God, is there anything more? The pack can't get heavier. And it was hard. And it was difficult. But like Mary and Martha, I thought, if you were here, this would be different. But I never lost my faith. And having distance from those moments, I thought his silence meant his absence. And it did not mean that. He was with me the entire way. He was strengthening me that whole way so that if nobody else was going to give him a proper burial, I was going to. And I was going to do that because he was my dad. And that's what I should do. And in that process of realizing that God was there with me that whole entire time, there was a healing that happened. The scars are still there, but there's a healing in knowing that as I was going through that, he was there. He was with me on the phone that night, and Jesus was with me by the gravesite. So my advice to you is don't mistake silence for absence. God was speaking to me in a way that I wasn't used to hearing. He wasn't silent. I was learning something. And I can't explain to you why he didn't move in your situation. I can't sit here and give you reasons why he didn't. I wish he moved in mine differently. There's still times that I sit back and go, what would have happened, God, if you stepped in? What would have happened if you, made the, if, if you would have changed this? And that's not necessarily helpful because he didn't. And just because he was quiet doesn't mean he wasn't present. It doesn't mean he didn't love me. It didn't mean that he wasn't there in the pain with me. In fact, I don't know how I would be able to have made it through all that, that process without him right there with me. And it's hard. It's easy following Jesus. It's easy doing all that when life is simple. But when you get faced with a storm, it becomes far more difficult. And placing your faith and trusting God like Mary and Martha did, even in the circumstances or despite the circumstances, that's where your faith evolves into something stronger, more powerful, a tighter, deeper relationship with your heavenly father. But I can't tell you why. I have no idea. Like I said, I wish he had done it different in my story. I wish he had done it different in your story too. But I have an unyielding trust that he knows what he's doing. He went to Lazarus' tomb late on purpose. I have to imagine he did not show up in my dad's life in the way that I was praying on purpose. For all I know, he, he could have accepted Christ that night after I gave him the gospel. I don't know. I gave him the full gospel. I have no idea. 
For all I know, I could get into heaven and he could be there. Or he could not. But I'm convinced that my heavenly father has me in my situation in the palm of his hand. And I'm convinced that when I'm going through pain, God's going through it too. That when I was a mess by that gravesite, Jesus had his hand on me right then. And he places his hand on you too in those moments and in those times. When God hurts, you hurt. And whatever you do, don't listen to the lie and mistake silence for absence. He's there and he's present. As we close today, we're going to sing a song together. And it's one you guys have heard many times. It's called Gyra. And there's a specific section of Gyra that says, you are enough, more than enough. And he's more than enough even if it didn't happen the way you wanted it to. He's more than enough when you reach out and embrace him. He's more than enough to overcome the struggles that you're faced with and the sorrow that you're feeling. And that sorrow is not a bad thing. It's a mark of your maker on who you are and your life and everything you've been through. Because when you're sad, God is sad. He's sad for you, for those around you, and for the circumstance. You are not alone. He stands with you in the pain. And he wraps his arms around you, I imagine, the same way Jesus did Mary and Martha. And says, I'm here. So, I would love to pray for you before we sing. Lord, It's always hard because we don't have the answers that we want. We pray for you to show up a specific way. And God, it's the only way that makes sense at that time. We sit back and wonder what's stopping you. Sometimes, God, in our darkest moments, we sit back and think that you're not even listening. But God, I pray that we would be reminded specifically through this story in the life of Christ that when we're experiencing pain, God, you are with us. That when we're experiencing sorrow to an unimaginable degree, you're with us. That when we're in the hospital rooms, God, when we're at the gravesites, when we're in the bedrooms fighting for our marriage, we're trying to call that prodigal son or daughter back. And we sit in sadness and sorrow and cry out, God, if you were here, it's not a faith issue, my Lord, it's if you were just here, I pray we would be reminded of these words that you're present that your arms are around us in this moment and that you are enough 
You are our provider. You are our God. You're our strong tower, our foundation in which we build our life. So Father, help us as we struggle through this emotion of sadness with our limited perspective on things. Let us embrace it, wrestle with it, feel it, Lord, and be reminded that you are right here with us. You place your arms around us. Because when we hurt, we're reminded that you hurt. So Father, we love you. We worship and praise you. And we trust you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. As you guys stand to sing, if you're going through something, I pray that you would sing this louder than you ever have before. Let the words penetrate your heart and your spirit as you realize that he is more than enough. Forever enough, always enough, more than enough. Forever enough. 
I'm already chosen. I know who I am. I know what you've spoken. I'm already loved more than I could imagine. And that is enough. I'm already loved. I'm already chosen. comforting to know that he cares for you and loves you so much that he's there to comfort you in those times of need and those pains that that we all experience. It got me thinking about who we are as New Post Church and our church family. And while Pastor Brandon was